Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Here we are, Bleacher Blums, and out here in Houston, it is a cold, dreary, foggy, rainy, funky, gnarly, nasty morning, afternoon, whatever you want to call it, and uh, that cloud is still lingering. And I know that a lot of you uh, paid attention to that last podcast. David Tuttle, my co-host of Bleacher Blums, we have done our due diligence and we went through the uh, report that has suspended A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno, who were eventually fired by the owner, Jim Crane. And we gave you all of our thoughts and opinions and it kind of caught fire. It was a very good podcast for us and we appreciate everybody who downloaded, rated, reviewed listened to it, shared it, listened to I've got people who actually told me they had to listen to it a couple of times to actually get all of the information they needed out of it. And I think we did a very good job, Tuttle, in answering a lot of those questions. I'm not sure if it's one of those things that's going to continue to go away or fade away because uh, according to Rob Manfred's uh, thoughts, he still has the Boston Red Sox in his crosshairs. And I thought there was really like a really subtle line in the interview. I don't know if you saw it on Fox Business. I just happened to pull it up before the podcast. But it actually said that Rob Manfred, in looking at the Boston Red Sox, says that if the other avenues open up, he's going to take them, which I found kind of interesting. So no, nobody was really in the clear. But uh, we did a great job on that last podcast. There were a lot of really good reviews regarding how we handled it, Tuttle. And it's been a week since we've done that. Have you detoxed? Have you uh, unplugged? How has your week been after such good work on that last podcast? Yeah, uh, I, it's been a great week. I, I wish, well, I don't wish we could say the same. I mean, sometimes you're referring to the weather in Houston with a dark cloud hanging over Houston. And I don't know if it's the weather or the topic, you know, in the hot stove. But uh, out here, we got a little sun peeking through. We're about 65, which is typical Southern California weather, as you know. So, uh it's been good, and I think part of the reason the cloud lifted out here is the Dodgers City Council passed a, an ordinance <laughs> that we're going to discuss. And boy, the the Dodgers fans are on a high. They're thinking uh, they're thinking that they might have some hardware coming their way. But uh, I just saw a quick report saying that uh, that is false, and that's a ridiculous thing. And obviously, the fandom out here is different than the fandom in Houston. And uh, when those two meet. Uh, this year, the uh, intensity will be uh, maybe like Kansas and Kansas State. So we'll uh, we'll see oh, how boy. it goes. Yeah, that was uh, absolute mayhem. Uh, the, the last photo I saw of that Kansas brawl with Kansas State, some dude had a, a, a chair or a stool from the sideline over his head coming down on somebody. So that was pretty gnarly. That's going to leave a stain on Kansas, who has its own issues to deal with, but also college basketball as we creep closer to February and into March where good times happen. But uh, you're right. Uh, Rob Manfred has, has spoken up about that L.A. City Council meeting where they voted a resolution to strip the Astros and Red Sox of the World Series title. And just why don't we just give it to the Dodgers because they made it in there. And you know, I, it's astonishing what goes through uh, a politician's mind. But what's even crazier about that before I get you back in on this Tuttle is I actually I, I've been to a couple of events out in, in L.A. where I think it was the West Coast. It was like West Coast Sports Association or Sports Conference or something like that. But it was, you know, as a charity get together, they interview some people, but it had a lot of media types. So I think I kind of got into a database. 
But guess who got an email from the L.A. City uh, org, uh, media relations regarding that in order to get on a press conference and maybe talk to a couple people. But I completely disregarded it and read this, like you said, yesterday morning that they have passed it 100 percent that just stripped the Astros and Red Sox. Piece of case, piece of cake, hands washed. Let's move on. Well, you know, it's funny, and I, I don't mean to belittle your uh, your status in the in the world, but I, I have a feeling a lot of Astros uh, employees got that, like, spammed into their folder, <laughs> right. right? Like, we don't just need to target Blummer. Let's make sure that, uh, you know, they sent it to Luno and A.J. Hinch at their emails, and those got rejected because their emails got turned off a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 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 kind of silly. The other thing that, that jumps to my mind, and we talked about this a little bit last podcast, is earning it. I mean— if I were a Dodger and they said, all right, you know, we're going to give you the title. I just, I would feel so weird about that. I mean, the game was played on the field. Um, I think that we have already kind of discussed the fact that I think a lot of different teams were doing different things. And uh, we know that the Red Sox and the Yankees had already been caught. And the reason that this punishment is so stringent or severe is because of the fact that, you know, they were kind of forewarned about it. It's not that nobody else is doing it. It's like, hey, you know, shame on, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you, or however that goes. I think it's the other way around. I screw that up every time. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's cooled down a little bit uh, in terms of the intensity. And I know the Twitter storm was, uh, was hot last week, but, uh, but this topic is not going to go away. And as I said, and I'm going to keep repeating this until the season starts, it'll be really good to see these um, ultimate competitors and ultimate professional baseball players uh, get after it when the season starts because I feel like the Dodgers feel like they have something to prove. The Astros feel like they have something to prove. The Yankees feel like they have something to prove. And I think the level of intensity for the baseball season is going to go up. And then there was that little blurb yesterday saying that pitchers are probably going to um, have a few, uh, fire a few at the uh, backside of the Astros just to kind of let them know that they were upset about the whole thing. And, you know, as you know, that's one of the old unwritten rules of baseball. And maybe, if Jake Marisnik uh, was still on the team, he would take it and take his base. But uh, but every I think that's going to raise the stakes uh, to say the least. Especially when guys are throwing 98 at your backside, you can you can attest to that. Yeah, and eventually what happens in that scenario is the league steps in, starts fining guys, starts suspending guys, and then you start losing paychecks, and all of a sudden we get back to reality and let's play some baseball. But I I was actually talking to a good friend last night. And I brought up he was he brought that up. He goes, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if Mike Fires played the National League? Wouldn't it be interesting? Or I'm curious what's going to happen to the first hitter for the Houston Astros if George Springer digs in? Is somebody going to smoke him right out of the chute? And I brought this up. I think I'm, I'm one of, I, the Astros open at home against the Angels. I'm not sure who the leadoff guy is going to be for the Angels, but what if Justin Verlander, just out of out of all of the speculation and all of this process proceeded to step up and the very first pitch of a Houston Astros 2020 season is right into the rib cage of the leadoff hitter for the Anaheim Angels. Would that not be insane where Verlander steps up and goes, boom, and says, hey, we're here too. We'll back our guys up if necessary. That would be absolutely incredible. Hey, I like the idea. I mean, like I said, the, the season <laughs> Spoken like have, a true pitcher. That's right. We have, but we have a we have a lot to look forward to. And like I yeah. said, I think the stakes are going to be raised this year, and we're going to see uh, we're going to see a lot. I, I saw some tweets, obviously, uh, as we keep, keep talking about the Houston 
scene is big on my Twitter feed because of the the reason I joined Twitter is because this podcast and all the followers tend to be from that area. But I guess the Houston Sports Awards were this past weekend. And, last night. you know, yeah, last night. There you go. Alex Bregman and Altuve both won some awards. And, you know, that's very uh, a very homogeneous audience. Like they're all either Astros fans or celebrities within the Houston environment. It'd be interesting to see that, you know, expanded out or some highlights of that because uh, I'm sure they would get some uh, some pushback. But uh, I think just what I heard the brief speeches and the kind of contrite things they were saying is, look, I love my teammates. I can't do any of this without my teammates. And uh, we're looking forward to the baseball season. So it'll be really interesting to see how, how it goes. And I'm going to continue to beat that drum. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting too, because they did have fan fest over the weekend and there were some scripted responses. It felt like where there wasn't really that sensation of remorse. And I think that's where a lot of people were kind of maybe, maybe surprised, taken aback by it, but I'm not too sure that I am because understanding the volatility of society these days and that knee-jerk response, I think a lot of these guys just kind of wanted to maybe pump the brakes a little bit, remember that FanFest is about the fans, get that out of the way, and maybe approach this in spring training. Like we're hearing Jim Crane say, the owner of the Astros saying, these guys will apologize and address the media in spring training. And again, that's a little more of a business environment a little more of a comfortable environment for the player they're expecting the questions they're expecting the media they're going to be in their uniform they're going to be in their locker they're going to be at their spring training site so there might be a little more confidence and comfortability in that situation to be able to address it and then get on the field and start playing the game like Tuttle is talking about and that's where the expectation of going out there and playing as hard as you can because I really don't feel that there's going to be any in between this year. I think that, and this is not just for the Astros. I mean, obviously the emphasis is going to be on the Astros because everybody's focused on them. But I do believe there's going to be, you know, two different scenarios for Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Astros, all these competitive teams. It's going to be, you're either going to win and prove everybody wrong, or you're going to play 500 baseball or a little bit above and everybody's going to go, see, told you, they're no good without the signs. Yeah, I, I I did see Jim Crane make a speech, and this, again, I mean, it's not that people are listening to the podcast and it's like spreading like wildfire. I think ballplayers think alike, and we said last time, I think the apology is going to have to be kind of a unified apology since they gave uh, immunity to the players um, that are in the Players Association, and I think it's going to have to be, I mean, even the Dodgers are probably going to have to get together as a club and say, look, we've forgotten about 2017, or you know, we're going to use that as motivation or whatever it is, and we're moving forward. I mean, you can cannot carry this around all year you know game 75 they don't want to be having this discussion like oh you hit that home run like you knew it was coming you know that kind of stuff it's like they just have to have like you said a unified front unified statement they'll be in their element and i think that's going to uh i think that's going to kind of get the season rolling as it were and as we just jumped into this podcast i don't think the intent was to really jump on subjects but well, let's jump into the mailbag we got four or five uh questions and That'll kind of lead us around uh, the topics. I think this, most of the questions are still regarding sign stealing and clubhouse stuff. And then uh, then we'll get the podcast kind of continuing on from there. Are you good with that? I'm outstanding with that. You're doing a great job of driving this ship, boy. All right. Here we go. He said ship, driving the ship, folks, not the other. Um, yeah, like I right. say, you know what else? It's funny, the play on words when I say shin burger. Yeah. Oh, yeah, After a Shinberg. foul ball off the guy's shin, everybody goes, did you just say shitburger? <laughs> nope, shinburger, an old uh, baseball <laughs> adage, just like rub some dirt on it. 
Um, here we go. So the first question is from Eric, and he says, yes, another sign-stealing question, folks. There has been an analytical analysis on the road home splits for the Astros hitting in 2017 and 18. I've actually seen some of these, which is funny. Um, from swing-miss ratio to run score to batting average, all the major metrics point to the Astros hit better on the road than at home. Yes, they do, folks. You can't argue with facts. And, you know, I know some people were, you know, picking 20 games from home and the road. And they were saying, look, they're hitting way better at home. No, no, no. The stats don't lie. And the Astros typically with those splits do hit better on the road. From your perspective, how can this be? Is the advantage overblown or are there other factors? And I think that's a great question for you to lead us off. And I know you have some insight on that. I do. And uh, who, who wrote that in again? Sorry. Oh, yeah, Eric. Sorry. Eric. Eric, nice work. Good question. And I think Eric maybe follows a guy that we like on this podcast a lot as far as stats are concerned. Uh, at Ace of Spader on Twitter. Ryan Spader, he's an active Marine, loves the game of baseball, written a couple of books. Just to give you a little background on him. But he has been tweeting out, you know, individual numbers. He's been tweeting out Astros home and road numbers. And it's really something that we've hit on in the broadcast the last three years because it's shocked both Todd Callis and I the fact that the Astros are so good on the road because the whole theory is win at home, play for the split on the road. So basically you want to win it, be above 500 at home, play 500 baseball on the road. The Astros have been the exact opposite. They played closer to 500 over the last three years, 17, 18, and 19 at home. Uh, and then they've been way over 500. I, want to, I, I don't have the exact numbers because the question just came up. But the Astros, I believe, have the best road, team road record on the road in the last three years. And then to Tuttle's point and Eric's point, if you actually pull the numbers from those last three years, their batting average and their OPS, everything has been much higher on the road. And I want to take you back to right around 2016-17 when they made the adjustments to Minute Maid Park. They went from Towles Hill, which was a pretty good hitting background. They shrank the hitting background to literally, I think, the minimum size of batting I can be in the major leagues and they changed the lighting. There were certain adjustments around the, the ballpark that I think affected what the Astros were doing at home. Now you get to the playoffs, and that script is that script is flipped a little bit where they were better at home, not so good on the road. So you can kind of use that theory for what you want. But to Eric's point, I think that uh, the, road the road environments were better for them because of the hitting, uh, hitting backgrounds, the lighting, whatever it may be. But we saw them absolutely torch, torch, teams in the American League West on the road. So those numbers, there was a huge discrepancy that really kind of puts a hole in the whole theory that the trash can thumping was actually helping them. Yeah, and, and maybe uh, Ace Spader can uh, can put out those statistics again on uh, on Twitter. He's been doing a good job with that, and that's where I, I think I got the information initially. But I think, I think to your point, there are other factors. There always are, and I think you brought this up, and I hate to oversimplify this. Hitting a baseball is difficult, and when guys are throwing at 98 miles an hour and they used to throw 94 or 93, then you have less reaction time. And so you know, just knowing a split finger is coming or just knowing an off-speed pitch is coming <laughs> – doesn't always make it that you know that much easier to hit. I mean, the best guys can tell you what's coming. I, as a matter of fact, Jack McDowell made the last uh, he made the last uh, podcast because he he mentioned something about Tony Larusa, which I don't even know if we got into. But uh, <laughs> Jack McDowell realized this was when he was at Stanford. Uh, some they were getting his pitches. He was tipping his pitches, and so from the mound, he started telling guys what's coming. And this Jack McDowell first round pick, he's like, "All right, hey, you got my pitches. Here goes fastball." And then psh, firing a fastball, foul ball, breaking ball, boo, and he was like firing that all in there. 
guys still couldn't hit him. And he walked yep. off with his chest puffed up like, hey, I mean, people like Verlander and Garrett Cole, you could give me a bat and I could stand in there and you could tell me Garrett Cole's throwing a fastball right down the middle. And you probably would put a better swing on it than I would. But you know damn well how hard that would be if Garrett Cole stood on the mound telling you what he's throwing and how hard it what it is to hit. So, yes, these guys, we're not absolving them. We've already talked about the line between trying to sign steel, uh, I guess, legitimately, and now using technology, which definitely is uh, cheating and an enhancement to that. But it's still really, really hard to hit a baseball unless Dave Tuttle's standing on the mound. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm just... Yeah, maybe right now, but uh, yeah, uh, back in the day, I'm sure it was pretty tough. But that's what I've heard the consensus. You know, young, old, present, past, a lot of these pitchers I've talked to, I've said, hey, you know, if you're on, do you feel that you could stand on the mound and do what, you know, Blackjack said he could do is I'm going to throw you a fastball. Good luck. And if you were able to move it the way you wanted and locate it where you wanted, you would probably get us. Now, maybe you hit the ball hard and you line out to a defender. I mean, there's so many contributing factors to getting a hit or not getting a hit. So, yes, if the batting average against Dave Tuttle is 250 on the season and I have and I, I know he's going to throw me a fastball, what does my batting average actually jump to? Does it go to maybe 300, 350? Yes, it increases your chances, but it's not 100% positivity that I'm going to go out there and get a knock. You know, and you brought up examples of guys telling, pitcher, uh, telling hitters what's coming. I actually had a, had got a phenomenal example. There's one pitcher who went into the, into the Hall of Fame last year as a unanimous choice, Mariano Rivera. Get, if I asked 30 people on the street what Mariano Rivera threw, they would go, cut fastball. Guess what would happen if you asked every hitter in the big leagues who faced Mariano Rivera? What are you going to sit on? Cut fastball. <laughs> now, guess what Mariano Rivera threw every single time? A cut fastball. He was the best closer in the history of the game. Perfect. Enough said on that. Let's move to the next question. I like it, but there are definitely other factors. Um, this is from Aaron, Aaron P. I, not much of a question. She said, hey, guys, great podcast. I really enjoy your banter. I don't really enjoy the Manscaped ads, however, so I skip ahead. We're not too high on the Manscaped ads now either because yeah, uh, good point. the check has gotten lost in the mail. Um, anyway, I keep thinking back to the last podcast where Blum made a big deal out of being an Astros employee and then went on to say that this was the last of what he was going to say about the dead horse, namely the sign-stealing scandal. It seems now that he might have known that he would be gagged from discussing it further, and I've seen reports that no one employed by an, 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 eh, easy for me to say, by an MLB team can comment publicly on it. Is this true, or was it that Blum was so very tired of hearing or discussing it? I have some thoughts on the whole fiasco, but I'm, I think I'm past discussing and wish to wallow in the disappointment for a while. Maybe you guys feel the same. Well, I think if you watch The Bachelor, it's called a fadasco now. I'm ah. not sure if you were privy to that uh, information. That was kind of comical over the over Monday watching The Bachelor. Because is, yes, fadasco is a combination of a fiasco and a disaster. Is that right? That's exactly right. I think we. I think and we I'm not a Bachelor fan, and you didn't tee that up. Hey, a fadasco. I figured it out. There you go. I, that's classic stuff. So just throwing that out there to have a little bit of fun with it. Now, I think when you say gag order, I was not interviewed by Major League Baseball. So I don't think there's a gag order on me because I've got no information to provide Major League Baseball in the investigation, knowing that I sat about 300 feet above the field and watched the game just like everybody else did at home. And I was not privy to the information that was flowing underneath. That being said, I also think that Major League Baseball kept this specific to front office, maybe baseball operations and uh 
players and coaching staff. So I have, again, I am not privy to any of that information. I'm not uh, a part of any of that apparatus of the Astros organization. I am strictly in marketing and broadcasting. That's all I've got. So I think it's a little bit more open for me to do that. And the reason I kind of, you know, predicated the whole conversation, letting everybody know I'm an Astro employee is because maybe, maybe I will be a little more sensitive to what I say because I absolutely enjoy my job and I want to keep my job and I like my employers. I want to keep my employers. I love where I'm at. But at the same time, I think, you know, if you hear a tempered response or maybe I'm not given the information you want, you want me to hear, I need you to know that you know, there is a pretense to me maybe being trying to be a little more thoughtful about what I'm saying instead of going, oh, those sons of bitches, you know, I, not that I feel that way, but I, it's, I'm not going to be that guy. But no, there's no gag order on me. Are you kidding me? I got a podcast to do. Nice, Plumber. Nothing for me to add to that. Uh, the next question is from Jason M. He's written in a few times. Uh, he says, hey, guys, absolute home run with y'all's podcast. Seems like front office guys are publicly oblivious to sign stealing. At this point, two World Series winning managers have lost their jobs. Is it possible that maybe that was the deciding factor in why Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran were hired in the first place because of their knowledge of sign stealing? P.S. I would hire a guy if he knew the secret recipe to winning a World Series. So uh, I, the, the short answer is no. I mean, there's no way that these teams knew that that was, you know, part of what was going on because, you know, I, I just think not even just from an ethics standpoint, I just don't think that's part of the interview process. But uh, but it's an interesting insight. And I love that people take the uh, kind of the contrarian point of view. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's the win at all cost. Would Would you cheat to win a championship? And that's ultimately the question. And I'm not sure if the cheating actually you know, enhanced the efforts of the Astros because I think even in Vegas they said that the Astros were the outright, you know, World Series contenders through uh, both 17, 18, and 19. But uh, at the same time, you know, there is the reputation out there like uh, like uh, Jason is talking about that there are guys around the league and especially, you know, now it's our contemporaries, David Tuttle's and mine, contemporaries we played against who are getting these managerial jobs and we know who was really good at tip, you know, picking up tipping pitches or picking up sign stealing. And it was, it's a conversation that's in the clubhouse. Then it was in the clubhouse back when, uh, you know, Bobby Thompson hit the shot heard around the world. It was a conversation they're going to have when they show up in spring training, they're going to get to spring training and go, man, everybody's watching. We got to be a little bit better about how we, how we get our signs guys. So uh, I don't think that plays into the managerial interview. Like you're saying, Tuttle, I agree with you on that. Yeah. All right. Well, good. We agree uh, quite often, and when we don't, it makes for uh, for great content. So uh, two more questions. Um, this one's from Landy. Landy's written in a few times. Landy, I know you're both tired of talking about this subject, but just one more question, and you won't hurt my feelings if the question is skipped. Oops, too late. I'm not skipping it. I already read half the... I'm kidding. Do you think this scandal will have an effect on incoming free agents in the near future? I thought that was a good question. If you were an active MLB player heading into free agency, would you have to think twice before before joining the Astros now? Uh, I think the short answer is no. Um, but, you know, do you have no. any insight on that? Yeah. I don't think it is because, there, you know, there's no sanctions against the team unless you're a free agent. You you feel that the next two years, first and second round picks are going to affect the future of the team or something like that, but uh, I don't think it's going to affect it because for a couple of reasons, that's, it, the Astros are a very good team. Uh, really, the only concern you have is who's the manager because they're going to be making out the lineup in the rotation. And then third is money. 
it's as green as it ever you know it's as green in Houston as it is in New York Atlanta uh, Milwaukee Chicago so if if the money's right guys are going to sign yeah and I look at like Josh Donaldson I mean they thought Braves or Twins both those teams are kind of young up-and-coming contenders and he got paid I think if you want to be in the playoffs every year and have a chance to win a World Series Houston's still a great place to be um, you know, maybe they need to add some pitching and things like that. But as you said, the money's just as green in Houston as anywhere else. As a matter of fact, Texas is a tax for state, uh, state tax free, uh, realm over there entity. And I think that always, uh, lures some people down there. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think that's going to be a big factor. I think the manager, I mean, until they hire a manager, mm-hmm. you might not be able to slide some pieces into place in case it's in case it's someone you either don't get along with or don't feel that they have a vision that's going to uh, be successful in the long run. And then uh, last question. Um, this will lead us into everything else. Uh, good evening. I guess it's good afternoon or good morning. Good evening, Blummer and Tuttle. Why doesn't Major League Baseball allow the trading of draft picks. For example, I will trade you my first-round pick in next year's draft for Jeff Blum. Also, do y'all have any additions of Bleacher Blums after dark coming again soon? <laughs> well, we should. I mean, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, I think the whole trade situation is just... It, they, they want it to be between players. They want it to have an effect on now in Major League Baseball. I don't think they wanted to have an effect on future, you know, draft picks or, or anything like that or be able to trade up. You know, baseball's a little bit different. I don't think there's, <laughs> over the history of the game, you could look back and say, oh, I would have traded up for Derek Jeter or Mike Trout. But, I mean, we don't, you, those are things you just don't know in baseball because you've got, you know, 30 rounds of drafts. But uh, I think it's, a, it's not a part of the baseball draft because, or baseball trades because baseball – specifically has that July 31st cutoff date because they want contenders to go out and make trades to go get guys and they want it to have immediate impacts and they want to be able to create a trade market in that sense. But at the same time, you're not trading your current number one pick for next year, but you're trading possibly the one you picked up in the June free agent draft. So it's not it's a retroactive trade between draft picks sometimes as opposed to a future trade uh, of a draft pick so i think that's my my idea of what's going on and i think there's a lot of uh, you know baseball has been so different i mean you have 20th 20th round picks i don't remember if mike piazza was like a 67th round pick or yeah. something i mean you have such a wide variety of guys from all different walks of life and different levels and you know the minor league system is very entrenched in um invested in the development of these guys and you just don't know what they're going to be with the basketball draft for example there's two rounds of guys you add the foreign players in there and every single one of those guys is in the starting lineup or you know a six man or seventh man in the first year the nfl is the same way if you're you know they do seven rounds and if you're a sixth or seventh round pick you might get cut before the end of training camp or you might make the team so I think baseball is so different in that regard. As you pointed out, you're not going to have a guy. I think it's happened on occasion. There was a, uh, you know, Harvey came out and he got to the big leagues really quick. There was another guy from South Carolina that was closing in the playoffs last year. Um, anyway, there's just a couple guys that have kind of made it and like contributed, but it's such a rare thing. Like trading your third round pick, it might be a, a high school catcher from, you know, Timbuktu. And, you, you know, that guy's not going to help you. So you don't want to be trading, especially Blummer, for your uh, third-round <laughs> yes. pick out of high school. Um, it just doesn't work that way. So anyway, that's all I got for the mailbag. Yeah. 
that's a good mailbag and i appreciate everybody going to bleacherblums.com checking it out and being able to get at us you can go to click on that mailbag and send us your thoughts your concerns your questions and we will get to those as often as we possibly can we appreciate everybody who has written in we also appreciate everybody who's gone on there and gotten their t-shirts their hat tuttle's looking pretty good in his lid right now the bleacher blums podcast hat and you can also go there and find uh, any platform that this podcast is on or any archive that you want to listen to. There's some good ones, and a lot of people actually have been going back. I can see the numbers going back and listening to a lot of those podcasts and downloading them. So this is the point in the podcast where I think Tuttle and I need to take a moment and say maybe have a little celebratory uh, you know, hand clap, whatever it may be, for fans at home because – if you are listening to this podcast on a regular basis, we absolutely love it and we owe you everything because we would not be continuing to go on this podcast if it wasn't for the numbers that we are seeing in return. That being said, I want everybody in your car, your treadmill, at home, Air, AirPods even, if you're going that route, give yourself a little bit of a golf clap because I would like to tell you that Tuttle and I, after 52 episodes of Bleacher Blums, have eclipsed the 100,000 download mark and continuing to count. And that is due to the fans who listen to this podcast. Yes, we enjoy what we do. Yes, we try to give you the best product we possibly can. But we have created a friendship. We've created a family and a following. And we greatly appreciate all of you. But Tuttle, man, you're, uh, what, a year and a couple months ago, we had no idea what, the, what was going to happen. And here we are, over 100,000 downloads. Guess who's missing out? Manscaped. That's right. Manscaped's Nozzles. missing out again, folks. Nozzles. Hey, um, you know what? 100,000 downloads. That's pretty good. I, you know, I haven't done, you know, I never even envisioned doing something like this and trying to get the downloads and understanding what it means. Um, you know, there are a few podcasts out there that get 100,000 uh, 100, downloads in the first hour. But uh, but we're we're creeping our way up there. And, and, and like I said, it's a golf clap for the fans and the people that have uh kind of stuck with us through thick and thin and i think it's actually you know it's taken another turn with this astros thing because we're kind of in the thick of it whether we want to be or not and uh and i'm glad everyone's sticking with us and and enjoying the content so we're we're uh obviously super fortunate and super lucky to be doing it and uh i'm i mean i'm speechless for once that's pretty good, but you need to get speech full here now because I've got a couple of announcements. I've got a huge announcement coming up in uh, early February. There's something that uh, myself and a couple of other players and AT&T Sportsnet, we're trying to put something together that hopefully will come to fruition in the middle of, Mar in the middle of February, but we're going to have some talks, and hopefully I'll be able to make an announcement after the Super Bowl on what that exactly is, so stay tuned for that. But also, I want to welcome in, we talked about how well we're doing, and I also, you guys, everybody knows in Houston that I'm a big fan of St. Arnold Beer. Uh, we have created a relationship, a friendship, a working relationship, and I've been lucky enough to be a spokesperson for them, a an ambassador, if you will, of their product, and we have agreed again that I will continue to be an ambassador for them. Uh, I'm going to be looking on my Instagram, at Blummer27, for some updates on uh, new beers coming out some beer garden events that I'll be at and speaking at. But the most important thing, and the money is already there, and they are going to sponsor eight episodes of the Bleacher Blums podcast here in the future during the regular season of baseball. So we have an official sponsor. I'm breaking it to Tuttle right now. St. Arnold's has anteed up. They're going to help us sponsor this podcast and continue to bring this greatness to the fans who adore it so much. 
but hopefully this will also lead to an opportunity where Tuttle makes a trip out to Houston and we can put some eyes on him and get him a beer right from the taps of St. Arnold. So we want to say thank you to the St. Arnold Brewing Company for everything they're doing for us. Absolutely. I need to get Kleenex. I have a tear rolling down my eye. Like St. <laughs> Arnold Beer, I have a beer sponsor for the podcast. This yeah. is great. So we're definitely going to have to do some more Bleacher Blums after dark. and, uh, and That's get what that. I'm talking about. Yep. That's right. Get that organized. So we're going to do what will Tuttle say and Blum and Blummer today. I think you have a good topic. But uh, last night they announced the two Hall of Famers that got in this year. And I did not prep you for this topic. But, of course, Derek Jeter, I mean, he probably should have been a you know 100% guaranteed Hall of Famer. I know somebody said they're on the hunt. I think Phil Hughes tweeted out, who's a local guy here in Orange County, who that guy who didn't vote for Derek Jeter's, you know, they're going to hunt him down and look for that guy. Just he's going to be super embarrassed and, uh, you know, is it, have that's to, what the world has come to. We're going to shame the hell out of people. Well, yeah, I mean, I you know, I I think Phil said it tongue in cheek, but yeah, it, it doesn't matter. But my question to you, really, he, yeah, he was a surefire Hall of Famer. We've talked about him and his ability. I had the the misfortune of having to face him his first or second year. Uh, in the minor leagues and uh, he was pretty damn good then and you know did nothing to disappoint 20 years as the captain of the team in baseball five world series championships you know six most hits but I'm just wondering if uh, for me as a fan now not knowing him not playing with him and I know he led that team it's not that his hall of fame legacy I mean it's kind of like saying Pete Rose is tarnished because he bet on the game it is and he's not in the hall of fame but he could be but I just think that Derek Jeter has kind of lost a little of his luster and his fire based on the front office shenanigans. And I was just wondering if if anybody thought that or as men typically were able to compartmentalize all that, because I feel like since he left the game, people have talked about him in a different light and they haven't looked at him. And, and maybe Michael Jordan has a little of that, too, as an owner. But I feel like people really like Michael Jordan as an owner. I'm not sure I feel the same way about uh, Derek Jeter's. Uh, front office ability and his front office move. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about that or if that even came into the uh, kind of the, the view of anybody that was voting for him for Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thought process because I agree with you in the sense since becoming owner of the Marlins, he kind of had that, that image is kind of taken a little bit of a beating or tarnished, if you will, because that term's being thrown around a lot because as great as he was on the field and being a captain of a team and leading a franchise into the World Series several times and winning it, I believe, six or seven times, uh, back to back to back, I believe, in the, in the early uh, 2000s, and then goes to a, a organization and basically strips it down for, uh, you know, gauze pads and ball bearings. I mean, there's nothing left over there in uh, Miami, and the fans aren't even showing up. And I understand that it might be the tear down, build up, or, you know, burn them down, build them up type situation down there. Cause in three years, if they start to draw 10,000 people, they can say, look, 10,000 people have finally showed up. But, uh, I don't, if, if I don't think that had anything to do with him getting voted or not voted into the hall of fame, cause one vote short, but at the same time, I think it's kind of interesting because there's a guy on that hall of fame ballot who can't get in because of all of the lunacy that he brought to upon himself with his tweets, with his comments, with his actions, and that's Kurt Schilling. So that, I feel like that has obviously affected his ability to get into the Hall of Fame because if you take Kurt Schilling for what he's done on the field, you can definitely make a case of where he should get about 75% of the vote and put his uh, you know, plaque up in the Hall of Fame. But at the same time, since that dude took the uniform off, whoo, it, it has been, uh, been a cautious tale in controlling your tweets. 
that's a great that's a great analogy and a great comment because I, like I said I just I just thought about Derek Jeter in my head as a fan or a non-fan or you know an observer and I thought you know what he was a he's a he's a surefire hall of famer obviously I mean he got all the votes um except one but I just don't think of him the same way as I did like going out there and playing shortstop and and Schilling's a perfect analogy or a perfect kind of uh, uh, you know, if maybe if Schilling was a better pitcher, I mean, and I don't mean better, but I mean, if he was, if his numbers like, were just beyond, that's right. I mean, if yeah. he was Cy Young, it doesn't even matter if he had a political view that was a little slanted, but because he's kind of a borderline hall of famer, if you want to call it that, um, I think his numbers speak for himself. I think he is a hall of famer and, you know, he probably has two or three more years to get in. So that thing he keeps creeping, you know, that way. Um, th- there was another little quick article about Barry Bonds and Clemens not kind of, he went from 59, he'd been jumping five to 10% every year. He went from 59 to like 60%. And they're thinking, well, at that pace, he's got one more year, I think, or two more years. It's going to be really difficult to get in. So, um, you know, there, there's going to be plenty to discuss regarding that. I just, I just thought I'd throw that out there. No, I think it's great, but I also think it's, I really appreciate the fact that the voters got Larry Walker in there. I think it was one of those eventually things, but you know, it's kind of funny to, to look at these ballots and understand how you vote for somebody or how long they're going to be on the ballot and when you may allow yourself the opportunity to vote for a guy to get him into the hall of fame. And it was an interesting year because Derek Jeter first year on the ballot gets in Larry Walker, 10th year last year on the ballot and he gets in. So you kind of get to see the, the, the good, and the, and the rough part of the Hall of Fame ballot. So I'm sure they're both going to be grateful for getting in. But I love the fact that Larry Walker got in. Um, take all the Colorado stuff out of, it, out of it. But I remember vividly my first trip through Colorado was in 1999. And I was playing shortstop. And Larry Walker came up. And I went to the pool side. So I was kind of playing up the middle. And I remember him taking a fastball away and, and hitting it. He barreled it. He hit it hard. I don't know what the exit velocity was because I didn't give a shit. I was just trying to catch the ball and get it out. But that being said, I took one step to my right and thought I had a chance. And by the time I went to go backhand it, it was by me. And that's when I looked up and I was like, holy crap, that guy is good and strong. And I've never seen a ball hit that hard in my life to where I thought I had it, but I couldn't because it jumped and got past me. So that was was a lot of fun playing against greatness like uh, Larry Walker. That was a lot of fun. Well, Larry Walker, I mean, I heard a couple comments yesterday that were great. So one is, you know, uh, like Todd Helton, Larry Walker, Bichette, those years. The Colorado Rockies have no one in the Hall of Fame. And I realize this is not a popularity contest. Like, everybody has to be represented like an an all-star game. Yeah, true. But, you know, Larry Walker and Helton, I mean, as you just pointed out, Larry Walker was one of the best players in the big leagues for a long time. And I know he was an expo, but... um, you know, I mean, it's great that he goes in representing the Colorado Rockies kind of as the the pioneer for getting in. And the funny thing that he said, because only two guys got in this year, he said, do you guys remember those little old records, the 45? I don't know if you saw that. The 45 records, he goes, there's an A side and a B side. He goes, Derek Jeter's the hit. He's the A side. And he goes, just <laughs> flip that thing over and there's the B side. And there I am, Larry Walker. So I thought that That's was great, cool. right? Yeah, anytime you got those little 45 records, the song that's played yep. and played and played is on one side, and then you have the one like, hey, I should give this a little listen every once in a while. Yeah, but Larry Walker uh, said that yesterday and got me cackling, and he was laughing about it. And, uh, you know, that in a SpongeBob jacket, I didn't get the understanding of that. But what a what a character that guy is. Canadian all the way, eh? 
Totally, eh? He got himself into the Hall of Fame, eh? Maybe you get an extra, you know, extra brewski or something, eh? But no, it's great. I mean, the kid who, you know, was a hockey player turned baseball player is now in the Hall of Fame. I think it's a great story. Yeah, so that's all I really had about the Hall of Fame. I didn't even know if we needed to discuss it, but uh, I don't know. That was an interesting topic, and it's uh, it's great. I like to see those guys get in. They both deserve it, and there's not a whole lot of controversy over uh, those guys getting in. Yeah, I think that's good. That's great what will Tuttle say because I actually did have the Hall of Fame written down on my notes, so actually I was semi kind of sort of prepared, but I thought you took a great angle on it, bringing up the Derek Jeter off the field to see if that had any effect on it. But well, obviously, that wasn't, that wasn't what will Tuttle say, my man. Oh, it is. That's just oh, a topic. That was just You're a topic, freewheeling man. right now. Yeah, freewheeling. Nice. That's right. Yeah. Because I didn't even have a chance to set up Weddle Tuttle. Are you ready for Weddle Tuttle? Yeah, of course. All right. Don't don't, don't don't understate it. You know you're ready. I am ready. You're like That's hell what I yeah. Said. Of course I'm ready. All right. Yeah. So we're gonna do it. We didn't have it last time on the podcast, but you're gonna get it this time. Weddle Tuttle say. All right, folks. Customer service strikes again. Now we're now we're, we're recycling topics. I, I mean, need I, I need to find a drop that goes. Get off of my lawn! That's right. But customer service strikes again, and this it is does. in your old stomping grounds, Blummer. I'm not going to name names oh, of no. restaurants, but uh, this is down in a little beach town, a little south of me here. And uh, at a little, uh, I think they call it fast casual restaurant, you know, where you stand in line, you order your food, and then you uh, sit down and eat it. And, you know, probably four or five teenagers work in there. Typical, <laughs> right? That's typical, baby. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the old guy, but, you know, not a teenager. Those little I'm... surf towns, you're going to get the, you know, the high schooler oh, yeah, that surfs yeah. in the morning. Yeah. yeah. The stereotype Spicoli, man. It's they had like four, four Jeff Spicolis working the counter. <laughs> so there's no one in line. Guy walks in in front of me. And he's got a gift card. He looks like somebody gave him a gift card and a shower and a like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to pass judgment, but the guy was definitely trying to see how much money was left on his gift card. And so the first Spicoli, who happens to be female, grabs the <laughs> gift card and remind you, there's no one in there, but there are five or six employees milling about And she swipes the gift card. Oh, it's, it's not working. Swipe, swipe, swipe. It's not working at all. Uh, the line's starting to grow. So now there's like four or five deep in the line. And the, the guy is mounting. Oh, it's mounting. But so there's a guy in front of me also. So there's one guy in front of me. And then there's the guy at the register. And now the line behind me is like four or five deep. So we're five minutes in. And we're still swiping this magnetic strip that won't swipe, which is cool. Swiper, no swiping. Yeah, but we just want to order like, dude, I just want my, my fish burrito, my fish taco, like, and so I can sit down. So after five or six minutes, like, no, I just, I can't get it to, you know, I'll clean it off on my pocket and I'll swipe it again. And so the manager comes over. Now, mind you, this is like a bank on Friday. I always feel like they close down the teller windows and they give you one teller. They have three registers there and a couple employees just milling about. And one dude is like talking to the other guy through the kitchen window, you know, like, yeah. Hey, buddy. Yeah, no. Yeah, dude, the surf was killer this morning. And you're looking at it and the line is growing. They have no sort of conscience at all. So now the manager's like doing something with the, he comes over and he swipes the magnetic thing. Now, mind you, when I say the manager, that's the 23-year-old that came over to handle the 18-year-old's issue. The more mature Spicoli. Yes, the more mature Spicoli. 
So he's like entering stuff on there and he's like, oh, and finally he gets it to pop up. This is after I'm, I'm telling you like seven minutes. And he goes, uh, looks like you have $5.97 left on the gift card, sir. And he's like, uh, what can I get for that? And the guy looks at the menu. He's like, uh, you can get a fish taco. He's like, all right, fish taco for $4.50 or whatever. He's like, can I get anything else? And the guy's like trying to do math. He's like, I don't know. I mean, like, well, I, how does that guy know? I, I mean, so now the, there's like 10 people in line. We're watching this. The guy in front of me is laughing. So then... They get that all worked out. The guy in front of me is about to step up to the cash register, and the manager proceeds to pull the female Spicoli aside and go, now, when a customer has a gift card that won't swipe, like, this is what you want to do. And this, and he's going through the procedure with her while we're salivating and starving. Oh, this is a teaching moment, man. You need dude. to be sensitive. You need to be – you need empathy. Come on, dude. <laughs> Tell her later. Let us order our food. Anyway, so finally that guy orders. He's laughing. I mean, like, I mean, this was like a 20 minute process and they have seven employees in there and three registers. Like, you know, the manager then proceeds to tell me, he says, oh, you know, sorry, I, I've been here since like five o'clock. I'm supposed to clock out now. And I and I'm like, you know. That's great, but the customer, right? What happened to the customer? Like, he could make that situation so much better. Up, oh, line of four people. All right, Mikey, get on this register. Boom, boom, boom. We got the orders. They're cooking. Go sit down. He can explain it later. I mean, I know I should be a manager of a restaurant. That's what people are thinking. Like, I should not be on a podcast. Tuttle, you should manage a fast food chain uh, or a, a fast casual chain. I don't know. But uh, that's 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 my blum and blummer. I mean, customer service strikes again. Well, that's your Waddle Tuttle, man. Don't take oh, my sorry. don't steal uh, my thunder. I Waddle Tuttle say, of course. I, I was trying <laughs> to lead into your blum and blummer, but I just you know, I, I'm see, I'm so like fired up now, reliving this experience from four days ago. I think that gonna... I just. <laughs> I love it. I think next time you get in this situation, you need to video it. Oh. And somehow put it on like your Instagram something, or we can put it up on the on the website, so we can get like the full, the full the full scope of what's happening in this the tornado of circumstances that seem to follow you around these days. That's right. You know what's funny? I'm not even that fired up when I do it. That's why this podcast <laughs> is a great outlet. Like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to start yelling at this guy. Like, you know, yeah. all I want is some cool waves and some taste or cool buds and some tasty waves. Like, I'm not, you know. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. But just don't stare at me like cross-eyed like I'm in here like like I stepped on your shoe or I farted in line. Like I just want to <laughs> order a taco. Like give me a break, dude. So this is anyway. the greatest therapy session ever, although I think it's having the reverse effect because usually people freak out in the moment. You're the guy that like keeps it calm, cool, collected, and then gets back home and goes, what God's name just happened right there? And then all of a sudden you like start writing things down or thinking about it a little bit more and you just snap. That's right. And, you know, I will say if you guys want to get at us on uh, Twitter or in the mailbag, I'd love to hear your stories. I mean, everybody has a customer service story. The thing I would recommend and what you always say, Blummer, you know, be nice about it. Like I did not rail these folks. I understand. But there is some frustration involved when, you know, there there used to be an old sign that my grandmother had uh, in, in her office that said, you know, the customer is always right. I mean, that kind of, I think that's gone by the wayside, but whatever. I, now I do sound like get off my lawn guy, but I, I'd love to hear at real David Tuttle or, um, you know, obviously on our mailbag at bleacherblums.com, some, maybe some funny stories or some questions about, uh, customer service related incidents. 
Um, hopefully you guys handle it as well as I do. And, and you're able to get some therapy by sending in your story. I don't know, but, uh, that's it for uh, what'll Tuttle say. I'm sorry to steal your thunder. We can lead into Blum and Blummer if you wish. Yep. Let's get a little bit of Harry and Lloyd going. Cause it's time for Blum and Blummer. Huh. I expected the Rocky mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That's Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. And in Blum and Blummer, I want, I, we hinted at it earlier in the podcast about the Houston Sports Awards. And I just want to tell everybody what an amazing event this is. I'm not sure how many cities actually pull this off and honor the locals as much as Houston, but I highly recommend it if, if you have a, an entity inside your city that's able to do this because the Houston Sports Authority puts on these Houston Sports Awards, and it's only the third year they've done it. And it is a full-blown red carpet media junket. I mean, it is, it is over-the-top exceptional. And I love going to this event every year. It's been fantastic. They announce Hall of Fame uh, people who are going into the Houston Hall of Fame. They honor high school athlete of the year, college athlete of the year, pro sports athlete of the year. And what the coolest part about that, obviously giving awards away, is, is something that, uh, you know, I have a tough time watching the Oscars and stuff like this. But I like this because it's, it's localized and it's heartfelt. Uh, I got to listen to Rudy Tomjanovich almost break down and cry about the honor of being into the Houston Hall of Fame. Uh, listening to Carl Lewis tell his stories about winning nine gold medals and, and sprinting and jumping past everybody. I didn't realize he was a 400-meter guy. So you kind of lose sight of things like that after the years pass. Mary Lou Retton goes in uh, for her gymnastics greatness, and I had no idea she was the first woman to win a gymnastics gold medal in U.S. history. So she's a real these are real trailblazers, and they're all in the city of Houston. But as I'm watching these people go up and give their, their speeches and saying thank you and things like that, I sit there and I see, you know, Otis Thorpe and, you know, Clyde Drexler, Akeem Olajuwon to George Foreman to Dan Pastorini. And, and I mean, it is the coolest thing because I think Tuttle's the same way I am as far as history is concerned. We love the history of sport. We love how the evolution of the game. We love how trailblazers come in or we recognize greatness and some names who maybe aren't Hall of Fame worthy but really left an indelible mark on us. And to sit in that room and sit amongst these people it was it brought the greatest smile to my face because my wife is going who's that and i get and you know it's not a knock against my wife it's but it's an opportunity for me to go oh you know what he did this guy did that he was the guy that caught this pass and did that and then earl campbell goes by and i'm like oh the tyler rose this guy was unbelievable he trucked people and that's why he can't you know that's why he's in a wheelchair now because he played so freaking hard you know that's that i love that part and you kind of and then you start to see you know, Whitney Merciless got honored there for his charity, but Whitney Merciless was literally out of control going to all the other athletes and taking selfies. So you get to kind of see that boy, you know, that childhood inner kid come out when you start to see some of these people. So I thought that was a lot of fun. And I wanted to ask you, Tuttle, if you could, is there any, number one, is have you ever met a an athlete that maybe kind of like stunned you a little bit or you were just in awe of when you met them? You can't say Jeff Blum. Yeah, you know, I, I will not say Jeff Blum. You know, I think I think Michael Jordan on the baseball field, we talked about that early on. I mean, I didn't really get nice. the perspective of it mm -hmm. because he was now playing baseball, but it was a weird thing because he was kind of one of us at that moment. 
And yet, you know, that was the greatest basketball player even then at that time. I know he yeah. went back and won some championships, but he'd won three or four before he decided to play some minor league baseball. And so I think putting not even on a pedestal, just like this guy was one of the greatest, you know, my dad uh, idolized Bill Russell, who, you know, I never met Bill Russell, but, uh, you know, guys like that, that are kind of the greatest guys that have always been around. And then, you know, even just guys, and I'm sure you felt this way too, I think we do end up putting them on a pedestal until we meet them. And typically when you meet them, it's like the opposite, right? Like Hakeem, the dream, Elijah one, you're probably at this dinner and now you're kind of a Houston, you mentioned a, a Houston, well, you're not a celebrity, but you know, a Houston, uh, I don't know, you're, you're in the mix with those folks and they know you and they listen to your broadcast. So, I mean, I guess celebrity would be the right word. I guess what I'm saying is limited, you're not a limited celebrity, <laughs> right? Limited, but that's what I mean. You're not, and you didn't accomplish anything like, um, you know, Hakeem, the dream did in Houston, right? Like yeah. you won a world series in Chicago and that's different and it translates different. So, uh, but Hakeem, the dream is like one of the greatest athletes of all time from the city of yes. Houston. And he's done so much for the city. And now you're shaking his hand and talking to him. He's like, Hey, what are you drinking? You want me to grab you something? And you're like, Oh, like normal dude. Like, hello. Like he just yeah. happened to be a great basketball player. So I try not to be in awe. Michael Jordan was one where I was kind of, um, pretty stunned, but, uh, I, I, I'm always really, I guess there are some people. So I met Reggie Jackson and I had the opposite experience. And I know yep. anybody that's met Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson was a little bit Ricky Henderson, third person guy, but not nearly as nice and not nearly as congenial. And so that's always a weird like dynamic too. When the guy actually the you hear about the fame and then they're like that. So, you know, I, I try not to be in awe and you either come away going, man, that guy's way better than I thought, or, oh, that guy's what I heard he was. So I, I don't know. I mean, now I don't want to get too far off track with that. But, you know, Michael Jordan, I would say I was certainly in awe when I met him just because of, you know, all of the publicity that he had prior. What about yeah. you? Oh, I appreciate you asking. That's a good one. I like the Michael Jordan because you actually met him on the baseball field, and that was kind of on your terms, which is kind of cool. But at the same time, I agree with you in the sense I don't think I could see him as anything other been the greatest basketball player ever to live at that time. But uh, for me, it, it's kind of funny that you you bring up the personality of the guy because I met Bo Jackson in 2005 in the playoffs with the Chicago White Sox. And I was a guy who remember him watching him at Auburn. I'm a guy who wa remembers watching him with the Oakland Raiders and Kansas City Royals and that home run he hit at uh, Anaheim Stadium uh, to center field. I was just like in awe of this guy being able to play at that level at both the NFL and Major League Baseball, and then he walks in the clubhouse, and I'm like, "Hi, <laughs> Mr. Jackson." You know, I totally locked up. Beavis and butthead. Literally, man, I was just like, "Dude, this is awesome," and uh, met him, and he was he was gracious, he was great, you know, congratulatory, said, "Go get him, good luck," and we win the World Series that year. And I've actually gone back to Chicago a couple times for caravans and events that even he's been at or signing sessions where, you know, he'll be there. And dude, I'll be damned if that guy doesn't come up and go, Hey Jeff, how's it going? And now all of a sudden we're boys. And it's just like, Oh, it's such a great thing when you have that opportunity and you're able to establish that connection and that relationship. So yeah, that Bo Jackson was my guy. Nice. That's it's good that we have stories like that. I think what my, I, I went to a music uh, conference this weekend. My buddy's band was playing there and, um, my my took my son who's into music and this is related but uh he 
you know, after the guy performed, he came over and said hi and introduced himself. And I mean, he's not famous by any stretch. This is a really good friend of mine, really good band, but they're performing at this big festival. I mean, Stevie Wonder was there and, you know, all these, I mean, it's a, it's a really big uh, deal. The NAM Festival, National Association of Music Merchants. So anybody that's involved in music is there, recording uh, industry, but also even like high school band leaders. And I mean, it's just this huge conference. My buddy, my buddy's band played there, but he came over and said hi. And, you know, he's from Chicago. So I said, hey, let's go grab a bite to eat. And we were hanging out and my driving home. My son goes, I can't believe you know him. <laughs> and I just thought that really puts it in perspective, right? Like he's not famous and it's not anybody to be in awe of, but you know, 15 minutes prior, he was on the stage, you know, kind of rocking oh. out and everyone's like listening to him. And then he comes over and he's like, Hey buddy, how, how you doing? And I think, you know, I think what we all realize, and this is kind of what we talked about before about, you know, sending baseball cards to your home versus the stadium. I mean, most of us are regular people trying to live a regular life and, you know, some jobs are, in the limelight and some aren't i mean bo jackson's a great athlete but that was kind of what he was designed to do but he's yeah. a normal guy who eats breakfast lunch and dinner and i think as you said we were in awe of those guys but part of that's the build-up and you just realize you know they're oh, just a high, yeah highly skilled professionals so anyway rambling on about that but it, it it brought to light i guess my son by saying i can't believe you know that guy like yeah. you know it just it just cracked me up so because he was on the stage doing his thing, and I mean, as a you, as a kid, you appreciate things like that. So, kind of cool, and it's a lot of fun. I uh, hope that sparks a conversation for everybody back home about who you're in awe of, or who you'd like to meet, or what it would be like. And hopefully, it turns out the way that you hope it does. Because you, Tuttle actually brings up a good point. Because you do build them up. Because you, I, I don't know if you idolize them or uh, appreciate what they're doing, but you do make them a little bit grander than they actually are. But uh, that is good stuff. We are going to take Blum and Blummer and just lead this thing right into Don't Bet on It because, Tuttle, man, I think you had another very good week. And obviously, we've got uh, we've got some thinking to do over the next couple of podcasts leading up to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we got Niners and Chiefs. That's who I picked this week in the Don't Bet on It segment. And guess what? The Niners and Chiefs are going to meet in the Super Bowl. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. So if you didn't bet on it, then you didn't cha-ching. But uh, if you actually took my advice, you might have got some money. And if you had parlayed the last few weeks, because we got oh, four man. right the week before, you'd be, you'd be making some dough. But, you know, hindsight you'd, is twenty. You'd be hosting the Super Bowl party. That's right. So uh, the Niners and Chiefs, the Chiefs are slight favorites. I did see a bet come in, $700,000 on the Niners plus two. Um, I like uh, the Niners plus the points in the Super Bowl. I actually think they have an edge. I realize that we love offense. I mean, how about this? Two Super Bowls ago, it was the Chiefs and the Patriots, and that thing ended like 42 to 38 or whatever happened. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Last year, we're like, you know, the high-flying Rams. Oh, yeah, let's get the Rams in there. And what was that, 10 to 3 or 14 yeah, to 10? or like? Well, for, for, the, for the fans, but... The Patriots are just as happy with that ring as they are. They're probably more happy with that year than they are, you know, the year prior losing. You just went out so, Davis on me. Just win, baby. That's right. Just win. And, and so I like to take that approach. I think we, we talked about pitching and defense ad nauseum. Yeah, I really enjoy playoff sports. Mm -hmm. Hockey, I turn it on. And it's a lot more like fighting and thumping and low scoring. Basketball, you turn that on in the playoffs Ooh. and guys are getting grabbed and thumped and pushed and... So, yeah, and pitching and defense in the World Series. We talked about that. There are some runaway games, but typically when you get Garrett Cole on the mound, you're going to go like seven scoreless or seven innings with one run. 
And it's going to be little things that make the difference. And so, yes, the Chiefs are high-flying, and Kelsey's been on fire, and they've got Tyreek Hill. But with two weeks to prepare, um, Rob Saleh, Saleh, I guess, Robert Saleh, is the defensive coordinator. And the Niners have had a ferocious defense all year. If they can hold the Chiefs to somewhere like 17 to 20 points, I have a feeling that the uh, the Niners are going to win the Super Bowl. But, you know, I'm also a Bay Area guy and a left coast guy. So um, I think the idea here is, Blummer, we got another podcast for the Super Bowl as you and I should come up with a friendly wager because I think you're going to take that Mahomey. You're going to take Pat Mahomes because you uh, know his pops. I know, yeah. Having played against him and I know a lot of the family around uh, Patrick Mahomes. So, that being said, we know I kind of anticipated this a little bit. You being a left coaster, a little bit of bias uh, towards that coast. You would take the 49ers being a NorCal guy, born and bred. So I appreciate that. But before I get it, dude, the defensive coordinator uh, for the San Francisco 49ers, you just, what was his name again? Saleh, S A L E H, Robert Saleh. Okay, so in seeing that guy on TV a couple of times, you ever seen the movie 300? Oh, yeah. He looks like that Greek god guy that uh, the Spartans are going up against. It has like the piercings in the nose, the ears. He's got that bald head. He's jacked oh, out of his yeah. mind. Yeah. Daxos or something. I don't know what his name is. But anyways, I love a little bit movie. of a side note. No, he yeah. does. He If you added like some of those me out. wacky, uh, yeah, yeah. wacky headgear or tattoos, yeah, he would definitely look like him. All right. So <laughs> now that we got that out of the way. I I will go with the Chiefs, and what we're going to do, boo. Uh, so I will go with the highly powered offensive juggernaut that is known as Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Uh, and how about, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to find a way to create a friendly wager. I'm not sure what we'll be able to do. Maybe it's something we can say on the podcast. Maybe it's something we can put on Twitter or Instagram, but... I'm open to suggestions. I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm sure people are going to get pretty crazy with it and offer some wild suggestions. <laughs> but uh, if you can get at us on uh, Twitter at uh, Real David Tuttle or at Blummer27 or go to BleacherBlums.com, get in that mailbag and give us an idea of what we should wager. The, I, Jeff Blum going with the Chiefs, David Tuttle going with the 49ers. Let us know what you think. And uh, if we don't get good enough suggestions, we'll just come up with something on our own. Yeah, we'll we'll brainstorm a little bit. I mean, Blum and Blummer came out of a poll that we put on uh, on Twitter. So, I mean, who knows? The suggestions may be good. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not shaving my head or getting some tattoo or like this is not crazy, crazy mm -hmm. wager time. This is friendly wager time. So I'm just laying that out there. <laughs> There's going to be some it, laws. Oh, yeah. But if the wagers get a little off, uh, off, you know, off the beaten path, um, you know, we, we don't even have to suggest that they were suggested, I guess. We don't yeah, even have to well, mention it. You know, what's great about being the co-host of Bleacher Blums and offering this up is that we have absolute autonomy. We are unilateral in the decision making. We can say, whoop, the website didn't take that. We didn't know. We never read it. Sorry about that. And just move on. <laughs> That's right. I forgot it's funny because you said co-host and autonomous in the same sentence, but you're right. We will come up with an agreement that is uh, appropriate for us, and yeah. you, your your suggestion may or may not make it into the uh, into <laughs> uh, the, the the podcast next time. So, but anyway, yeah, we want to have a friendly wager. I think you're rooting for the Chiefs. I'm definitely rooting for the Niners, and uh, and it'll be fun to see. Um, I, I will finish the "Don't Bet on It" segment with, uh, and I know you know Nick Wright on Fox is a funny guy and he likes to kind of i don't know poke the bear but he had a i feel like he would say that i'm misrepresenting what he said 
But his point was, if Mahomes can win the Super Bowl and continue um, oh, progressing the way this. he has, yeah. go, then yeah, go with you know this. he can go down as the greatest of all time. He could surpass Brady. And I just think that's a it's a ridiculous statement to start. So, like I said, he gave himself a trapdoor by saying, "No, I'm just saying if it goes that way." I'm like, "Well, that's I said so can Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has a chance to surpass Brady as the greatest of all time because he's going to be the first pick and he had a great college season." I just think it was I just think it was an asinine way to start uh, a conversation. I mean, Joe Montana is still in some circles the goat and then finally Brady kind of just you know went over the hump maybe one or two years ago. So Joe Montana played for a long time and he won four Super Bowls. Brady's played, he's you know 6 for 9. He's been in nine Super Bowls and he's won six of them. Yes, some of those are defense, some of those are offense, some of those it doesn't matter. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. He is the GOAT. And bringing up Patrick Mahomes saying he has a chance to be the GOAT when he hasn't won a Super Bowl is asinine. It's it's the dumbest conversation I've seen started lately. So I'm sorry, Nick Wright. I completely disagree. I realize your audience is a little bigger than ours. But uh, just that's a stupid conversation take it elsewhere and you know maybe in three or four years if Mahomes has two or three rings we can start having a conversation start having a conversation about him you know doing some things but I mean I don't know if you saw that or not but that I mean I saw you tweeting about it yeah oh give me a break yeah well that's how you get followers man you just go with the lunacy instead of actually saying you know thought out uh, analogies and analysis but uh, I'm sure Nick Wright will appreciate that. And you did kind of clap back at him. So I do appreciate the hell out of that. But at the same time, you know, if you're going to say somebody's going to be the GOAT and you talked about Tom Brady and how he won some of those championships, coaching, defense, uh, got good guys around him. You realize what the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have to do around Patrick Mahomes to make sure that he becomes the GOAT or if he even stays in Kansas City. So, I mean, there's a lot of contributing factors to becoming the greatest of all time. But it is going to take a lot of work for a guy like Patrick Mahomes this early in his career. MVP caliber, obviously we know that. But, yes, championships will eventually solidify you as a GOAT like Joe Montana, Tom Brady. Yeah, and if you haven't won one yet, let's just you know, <laughs> hold our horses. Like I said, I mean, you can put Patrick so what Mahomes it, in So what does Nick Wright say? Yeah, no, you could. I, I agree with you in that sense. So what if what if the 49ers go out and absolutely obliterate what Patrick Mahomes is doing? What does Nick Wright say then? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe he says the same thing because that's what I mean. That's where that conversation came from out of the ether. He can say, oh, well, it wasn't Mahomes' fault that they lost. The defense did this and this or whatever. I mean, we don't know how the game's going to play out. Yeah. So he'll still have zero Super Bowl rings if they lose. But, you know, still through for 350 yards. Right, right. It's still there. Like, you can be the GOAT. Like, come on. Anyway, I just think. Well, that's like saying Drew Brees is the GOAT because he has all the he has the most yardage or the most touchdowns or, you know, I mean, all of a sudden you got to bring those guys into the conversation if that's what it is. Exactly. So anyway, that's that's a pretty good tangent, though. Good stuff. I like don't bet on it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think once the NFL season's over which will be after the Super Bowl because we're still going to come back at you and give us our, you know, some Super Bowl analysis for what we can as ex-ball players and athletes. But, uh, you know, after football season is college hoops. Been trying to keep an eye on some of that stuff. Obviously, uh, San Diego State kind of jumping in there has been a lot of fun to watch. There's a couple of Pac-12 teams in there. But uh, we'll get in on the college hoop action hopefully after that. I'm not much of an NBA guy, to be brutally honest. Unless we're in the playoffs, then I like to watch. We keep uh, harping on that deal. But uh, I don't know, maybe some golf picks too, man. There's some interesting golf stories out there, and I like watching the sport. I don't know how many of you out there are, but 
don't expect us to give up on don't bet on it once the football season's over. We'll just transition right into college hoops. And, of course, we'll have a blast doing our bracket with everybody. And I think there's a way for us to set it up to include everybody who listens. So we'll look a little more into that. But good stuff. Tuttle, great podcast, man. Uh, you took us you did you did a great job taking us out of the last podcast bringing in the the first responders and the military i would love for you to be able to do that again for us yeah well i, I mean I, it's kind of the same topic the the jocko podcast i listened to had four hours of the same guy and uh hey, dude do you listen to his most recent one jocko uh no not there he yet was, he was pissed he read a oh. section of uh, uh general Patton's book but man he, he was getting after it. He's a, he's a good listen, dude. He's, he's a great listen. Um, I'm just going to look up the guy's name because uh, did I lose it? Oh, Kyle Carpenter. Thank you. Kyle Carpenter wrote a book called Live a uh, Life Worth Fighting For. Uh, he wanted to appeal to the general population, but that podcast is four or four and a half hours long. It is fascinating. As Jocko said, go buy the book. And I know we're kind of, kind of I guess, piggybacking off Jocko's podcast, but if you really want to kind of get in depth and, and, and understand why Jeff and I continue or Blummer and I continue to thank the uh, first responders in the military around the world. Um, this guy, Kyle Carpenter, uh, jumped on a hand grenade and didn't expect to live um, and did live. And he's the youngest recipient of the Medal of Honor from President Obama. There's a hilarious story about him getting a phone call from Obama. Uh, President Obama saying, you know, the, the president's going to call you at, you know, 1.36 uh, p.m. today. And he's like at home and his mom's like, you're going to wear those shoes when the president calls you. He's like, <laughs> mom, it's just a phone call. And uh, and uh, President Obama called him like, you know, hey, what's up? He goes, uh, how are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm, I'm great, sir. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing great. I mean, it's just it's so human and so uh, normal. Um, as, as I mentioned, Kyle Carpenter jumped on a grenade uh, as a Marine uh, and doesn't really remember doing it, but he's had, you know, 47 surgeries and he's done all this, but you know, now he's done marathons and he's, you know, public speaker and, um, and Jocko had a, a, a guy in Taskina Bruiser that, you know, Mike Monsoor who did the same thing and didn't live. So it's a really the, you know, kind of the disparity there, like it's a miracle, the guy's alive and all these things. But I guess the whole point is people do things that we just can't comprehend um, in, in defense of our freedom and protecting and protecting, uh, the things that we hold near and dear. And, uh, you know, Jocko's podcast is a great place to get a hold of many of those things. He has plenty of war heroes on. So, uh, like I said, this isn't original thought, but certainly we want to give thanks to first responders and military around the world that enable us to do this podcast and, uh, have a hundred thousand downloads. Can you dig it? So, uh, again, a, a shout out and, uh, and Blummer, why don't you take us home? That's going to do it. Great stuff. I love the references. I also appreciate the heck out of everybody listening to this podcast and getting all the way through it because when you do get all the way through a Bleacher Blums podcast, we ask you to get after it. Most of all, you got to believe it. 